James chapter 1, we pick up at verse 26, and we consider all the way down through verse 27. James 1, 26, 27. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Father, we cannot help but personally this morning be reminded of our days of youth, growing up in a community that was very, very religious and not at all right with God. Can't help but think of that old lady who walked by the front of the house day after day after day with her little pittance of money to pay at the daily services of their church so that her alcoholic husband would not go to hell. Oh, Lord, the things that people give themselves to do as they try to find their own way. What a blessing it is to know he who is the way, the truth, and the life. What a blessing it is to know Christ and personal salvation and to be able to cast off the fig leaves of self-effort and religion and to engage in an honest, personal relationship with you as God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Help us then as we work with one of the most important portions in all the Bible to help us distinguish between religion and relationship with you as God. We ask your help in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake, amen. There are only seven references to religion in the English Bible and three of the seven are found in the two verses of James chapter 1, 26-27. There is one reference to the religious in the historical book of Acts regarding both Jews and Gentiles who were practicing Judaism before they came to know the Lord under the preaching of the gospel by Paul and Barnabas. Acts 13.43. The Apostle Paul uses the term religion to describe himself before salvation when giving his testimony 
before King Agrippa, as found in Acts 26. And then Paul, twice more, writes of religion when writing of his testimony to the Galatians, chapter 1, verse 13, and chapter 1, verse 14. Paul was very religious, indeed a Pharisee, before trusting in Christ. Paul never described himself or others as religious after faith in Christ expressed. We do not commend religion, but being right with God through personal faith in Jesus Christ. The word religion is very rare in Scripture, so much so that we can say that James' use of the word is highly unusual. In fact, James 1.27, listen to this, James 1.27 is the only positive reference to religion in the Bible, and that only because it is modified by the word pure and the word undefiled and the words before God. Before we get into all that, let me just remind you again of the context here. Believers are commanded to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Verse 22. In Matthew 7, Jesus defines such a doer as a person who builds his whole life upon the rock of Scripture. This work of doing the Word, we learned in verses 23 to 25, is connected to our blessedness from God. By likening God's Word to a mirror, we were able to specify the work of doing and its connected blessedness. The doer looks repeatedly into the perfect law of liberty. Not just the Old Testament law that condemns, but the New Testament law of the gospel that allows that individual looking to, number two, see themselves correctly in the light of the Old Testament law and the New Testament gospel. So the doer of the word looks and looks and looks and sees and sees and sees. And what they see is the condemning of the law and the remaining elements of sin and inconsistency. And what the one who looks and sees into the perfect law of liberty is likewise the gospel upon which the believer stands as right before the throne of God by faith in Jesus Christ. That is the ongoing process that then is added unto by the word doing. That fresh and correct sight of oneself prompts the confession of remaining sins and the confirmation of faith in Christ. This work with the word involves looking and seeing and then doing or acting accordingly as one has seen. It is a faithful and perpetual response in godly repentance and 
renewal. It is a relational thing. It is not a religious thing. The word religion in verse 26 and 27 itself refers to external rituals, routines, ceremonies, liturgies. Such external doings apart from relationship with God and heartfelt response to God is said to be vain or futile or, if you will, useless. The word vain itself carries the idea of that which is devoid of force. So you go out to the car on a cold winter's morning and you kick the key and zip. Nothing. The battery is devoid of force and thereby devoid of use. You might as well use the battery as an anchor for your boat because it is no good as it relates to power uh, to crank anything relative to your car. It is devoid of force and good use. There's an awful lot of people that call themselves Christians that live just exactly that way. External adherence alone and perfunctory public participation among the children of God is forthrightly condemned in the whole of Scripture. Religion of the usual variety is well represented in the life and testimony of the scribes and the Pharisees as seen in the four gospel accounts and the book of Acts. Religion of the unusual kind, as referenced by James at verse 27, is not what we personally would call religion at all, but rather biblical Christianity. We assume that James uses the term religion as modified by the words pure and the words undefiled and the combination of words before God and Father because his original audience was Jewish, having had many experiences within Judaism before placing their faith in Jesus Christ personally. What did I just say? I just said the only reason there is one positive verse in the Bible for religion is because the people that are being addressed as to the original audience were all that religious before coming to faith in Jesus Christ. For the purpose of our own precision of language and presentation of God's truth, we prefer not to use the word religion in any positive way. Now, when I was just uh, uh, prigging a few moments ago about my boyhood experiences uh, on the other side of the state in a Catholic community and referenced that old woman, I have a particular woman in mind. I could give you her name. I'm not going to, but I could give you her name. I could tell you her husband's name. If I had a dollar for every time that I helped pick her husband up out of the street who had fallen over drunk just before our door of our house over there on the other side of the state when I was a boy, if I had a dollar, I'd had plenty of money to spread around this morning to a lot of you. We do not consider ourselves irreligious, but non-religious. 
As John Phillips says it, Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship. It is Christ. Nonetheless, James uses carefully the word religion as modified by three particular terms when instructing his Jewish brethren. And I want you to look at that with me briefly as it relates to that modification, as it relates to a word that we are going to basically view as a negative word, religion, in all the Bible. The first word that modifies the word religion is the word pure. James spoke of pure religion. The word in Greek yields the English word catharsis. It references that which is clean or purged. It particularly, in this case, means clean or purged from troubles. Or we may say, harassment-free. Fussy little details are the hallmark of religion. It's time to bow. It's time to curtsy. It's time to genuflex. It's time to do this. It's time to do that. It's time to do this. Predictable gestures in ritualistic performances, scripted, man-made words, fill the air in religious public gatherings. There's plenty of pomp, but there is no God-glorifying spiritual power. There's plenty of honor for men, but not much for God. Religion is fig leaves on steroids. James speaks of religion void of all such trappings and troubles. James uses the word pure religion as a way to say that there is a way of going about relationship with God that doesn't have all of those hang-ups, that doesn't have all of those fussy hang-ups that religious people often do. Secondly, James says, in modifi modifying the word religion, it is undefiled. The word means contamination-free. It is yet another form of godly cleanliness. It addresses a thing as unmixed or undiluted. James speaks of a brand of religion that is free from divided motivations, free from personal agendas, free from personal selfishness. And so one thing that we could say about uh, religion that is not pure or undefiled is that it is, uh, it is very fussy, it is very picayune, and, uh, and it is absolutely driven by personal agenda and preference and, uh, and personal selfishness. Pure, undefiled, before God and the Father is the third phrase. This trouble-free uh, and singularity of so-called religion is the simple response of the heart before God. It is godly, meaning attitudinally correct when thinking about God. It is a response to God in love 
who love first. It is a response to God in fear, who indeed is fearful. It is a response to God with desire for him, not it. Desire for him, not it. Desire for him, not it. So many grandmothers drop the ball when they say to one of their uh, uh, kids or grandkids, you ought to get back to church. When most of the time when people go to church these days, they won't even hear about the God of the Bible. What good would it do you to go to the church of your choice? (laughs) No, we want people to be right with God. And certainly if the church is right, well, then there's a connection. But I tell you, in the United States of America, that connection between the church and God was disrupted and mixed long, long time ago. And no grandparent helps a grandkid by saying, you ought to get back to church. You need to know God through Christ. Be a part of a local church. It will help you grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a huge difference between the religious and those that are right with God. I read one man, formerly a religionist, who indeed came to know Christ who said this of himself, I formerly hid from God, but now I'm hidden in God. That's how a religionist described his salvation. I formerly hid from God under the fig leaves of religion. I hid from God under the cover of my own created ritualistic response. But now, by faith in Christ, I am hidden with Christ in God. Please do not think that we, nor less James, condemn all structure in public expression towards God. Scripture says everything is to be done decently and in order. Principles of design and structure must be a part of every public worship service. But even the rituals and ceremonies under God's own law were to be practiced from the heart. The notable difference between the faithful Old Testament saint and the faithless performance of commanded ritual was indeed heart. Those Old Testament rituals, we know, foreshadowed the person and the work of Christ. But most often, the Old Testament rituals and ceremonies were performed apart from right-heartedness. This is why we refuse to reference the Old Testament law of God as the same thing as Judaism. Let me say it again. We refuse to reference the Old Testament law of God as being one and the same as Judaism. God 
gave his perfect law, and if men's hearts were right, they were pointed towards faith in the coming Messiah. But men created, and men augmented, according to their liking, the law of God in the practice called Judaism. You should not think that Judaism and the Old Testament law are exactly one and the same. Historically, James played a huge role in the Jerusalem church distinguishing the children of God from Judaism while working from within the structure of that religious embrace. Maybe James' suspicion that some of his fellow Christian Jewish readers were depending too heavily on the old ways of religious thinking rather than the merits of relationship with Jesus Christ. Thus he writes of a pure and undefiled religion before God in contrast to the fussy and often heartless expression to God that comes through ritualistic forms. Gary and I, this last week, we're in a big box store, to my personal grief. I don't like shopping. I especially don't like shopping during this period of the time of the year. You know about that. But Sherry and I were in the store, and uh, we noted that all of the Christmas uh, stuff was on clearance, and that uh, all of the Valentine's stuff uh, was going out on the shelves. Uh, Valentine's is not until February the 14th, but on December the 29th at the big box store, you could have bought all kinds of Valentine's stuff as the shelves were stocked for what's next as the world pushes you according to its agenda. I talked to you many times about Valentine's Day. I talked to you many times about calendar Christianity. I talked to you many times about a marriage that is built upon the fact that it's the day I'm supposed to buy flowers. How meaningful could that be? Oh, it's the day I'm supposed to buy candy. How meaningful could that be? Oh, it's the day I'm supposed to give a gift. Oh, how meaningful that could be. Like Pavlock's dog. <laughs> The world rings its bell, and people jump up to do something that supposedly everybody should do. It is void, it is vain of the power and the grace of relationship. To love a woman, to love your family, to be loved by your family, to love your neighbors as yourself has nothing to do with the calendar. Has nothing to do with Pavlock's dog and the knee-jerk responses that come in the world. The right brand of religion, the only right brand of religion is specified by James' words, pure, undefiled, before God, 
and the Father. Furthermore, backing up to verse 26, the right brand of religion is further specified by three practical realities. And if you're saying to yourself right now, Pastor, it almost sounds like you're preaching two sermons today. Right. <laughs> I just preached one. I'm going to preach another one because they go so closely together. I figured you could handle two today. Here we go. Uh, uh, three additional uh, things specify the right brand of religion. Number one, the right brand of religion is distinguished by a worshiper's genuine control of the tongue. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, says the text, the New Testament Pharisees were known to be pious people with sharp minds and tongues. The religious brand of Christianity is often heady and highly critical of people, even God's people. The Bible can be used to beat on people and often has been so used at times even here. I was raised to be anti-creed. I was raised to be anti-ritual to the point of a fault. There are some wonderful and godly expressions formulated over the discourse of church history that may well serve us well. But at the end of the day, we cannot ultimately take joy or comfort in any creed but rather in Christ. It's personal. It's about him. Always him. Never it. My boyhood years were in an area saturated with Roman Catholicism. My senior years here with you are spent in an area known for its Reformed doctrine and church. Both in Catholicism and the Reformed church. The promotion of creeds and forms represent truth in a way that produces high levels of participation without personal relationship with God secured or maintained. Please understand, I cannot speak ultimately of, in positive terms, even a Baptist as errors in orthodoxy and errors in orthopraxy are all too easily illustrated among us, not just in others. We must speak the truth of Christ clearly as to his person and work. And as we preached in the last hour, we must walk as he walked. A person that embraces the right kind of religion is distinguished by genuine control of their tongue. They do not speak above the level they live. They speak right in commensurate relationship to their 
life as right. Secondly, right religion is distinguished by a worshiper's genuine concern for the needy. Again, verse 26, if any man among you seem to be religious and bridled not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and non-defiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. Right religion is distinguished by the worshiper's genuine concern for the needy. One of the things that is interesting about this day is that many of the people that the world tells me on television, tells me on, in social media, tells me in personal conversations, one of the thing, things that happens to me is that the people that the world tells me are needy, I don't believe are needy as they are represented. What is your neighbor's greatest need? What is your friend's greatest need? What is the great need in this world? You already know the answer, Christ. Is that where your head is? Is that where your pocketbook is? Is that where your efforts are? The Bible word visit here has nothing to do with stopping by a place and saying hello. The Bible word visit here has nothing to do with the aspect of handing out a bottle of water in the middle of a 5K race. The word here speaks of pastoral help and care. Indeed, the compound word in the Greek is built upon the word most usually translated overseer or bishop. Think of that. Here's real religion. For you to be a bishop, for you to be an overseer, for you to be a pastor. In this case, the one doing the pastoral work may or may not be a vocational pastor. The word is used, as is the word for deacon, in reference to all believers in this case. All believers are to step up and help and care for others according to their real need. Hands-on benevolence with an ever-steady eye on the needy relative to faith and growth in Christ is our mutual calling. Let me say it again. This hands-on benevolence with ever an eye on the needy one's faith, with ever an eye on the needy one's growth in Christ, is my calling and yours. Want a Bible verse? Romans 12.10. That tells us that we are to live and give priority and preference of benevolent care for faith and growth to one another within the body of Christ. And then, as resources allow, may surely extend to the needy outside the body of Christ. But our agapanthropy, I made up that word years ago, our agapanthropy, it stands in contrast to philanthropy. Phileo, to love like a brother. Philanthropy. Agapanthropy, to love like God loves. Agapanthropy is to be personally expressed to those among us with real need, physical, emotional, and spiritual. You and I are to care for people and not just because their leg is broke. 
You and I are to care for people and not because they have cancer. You and I are to care for people, certainly for their physical realities in life, but far beyond that as it relates to the spiritual realities of which we are so wonderfully aware because of the Spirit's work and the faithfulness of other believers to us in days gone by. Oh, God, help us to see that right religion is always distinguished by genuine concern for the needy. And then thirdly, right religion is distinguished by a worshiper's genuine cleanliness from the world. Verse 27 ends this way, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any believer loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So said the Apostle John. You and I practice the right brand of religion when we keep ourselves as the Lord Jesus kept himself on earth, unspotted from this world and unstained by sins. Of course, he did that perfectly. But you and I must at least be on the try. I find in my soul no sense of lacking understanding. I find my, in my own heart no sense of disgust in the life of any person who falls and fails but is indeed one who is on the try before God. But disgust has been a growing emotion in my soul over the latter days of my life in preaching. And so often we look upon the people of God and see some who don't even try. We all fail, and there is no glory in those failures. And thank God we can know freshness and forgiveness by the same blood of Christ that saves us. But God help us in these United States of America, because our biggest problem is not the president or the governor or the politician, or the CEO. Americans have a problem with God. Happy to embrace a little bow and curtsy according to their own calendar. But not willing to submit to the one true God of heaven and earth. Right religion is distinguished by the worshiper's genuine cleanliness from the world. I like what Phillips has to say in this regard. He says the word of God requires of us radical cleansing and reoccurring washings. There's some terminology for you. Have you been radically cleansed? We usually call that salvation. Have you been reoccurringly washed? We call that 
uh, repentance, uh, confession, and uh, forgiveness. Uh, every believer uh, uh, is required uh, to have a radical cleansing by nature of response to the Lord in faith, because whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But every believer is also called to reoccurring washings in that you and I who have been radically cleansed by the blood of Christ by faith at salvation are to be washed and washed and washed in that same blood in reoccurrence by fresh confession. 1 John 1, 9. I would not call that religion at all. As James did, I understand why James did. I would not call that religion at all. But we may all test our responses to God exactly as James recommends by, number one, the word test. Number two, the widow test. And number three, the world test. Take the test this morning as one who professes faith in Christ. Does your mouth represent your life in honesty and integrity? The widow test. Do you care for the real needs of people that are in your sphere of influence? And thirdly, the world test. Do you try, with God's help, to maintain an unspotted, unstained condition before your thrice holy God? And when you recognize that you have miserably again failed, do you confess your sin? knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Only by the word test, the widow test, and the world test may you understand and know within yourself if your response, if your uh, uh, religion is right before God. May God help each and every one of us to ring true in the remaining 12 hours of 2023 and should the Lord tarry and you already know I pray he does not may we ring true in whatever days God gives us in 2024 Oh God, this would be my prayer for the congregation as well as my prayer for me and mine, my family, my loved ones, and myself. Thank you for a sure word and a practical insight to it in this hour this morning. Help us to be rightly responsive to you as we ought, by lip and by life, we pray in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen.